Welcome to episode two of Crossroads of Destiny, an Avatar The Last Airbender Universe podcast. Right now, we're talking about every episode of Nickelodeon's Avatar The Last Airbender, one at a time. I'm Chad Hopkins, and I'm joined by my co-hosts, Andrew and Melanie Grant. How's it going, guys? Going great. We're doing great. Yeah. It's actually been a week this time. It has. Back to back, like our preview and our first episode were. So is there any fun things that happened this week that we want to talk about real quick? Mm, I got a Fletcher's Corny Dog. <laughs> that's exciting, since you're not going to be getting him at the State Fair You're not going to get him no. at the State Fair. No, that's super depressing. My work supplied him, the office bought him for everybody, and we didn't know if they were going to pay for it or not, or it was just going to be an option for us to get him. So I got four, and I was wow. really excited. <laughs> no regrets. No yeah, regrets. I was actually able to enjoy one, too. That was, that was great. She brought some home. And I got a lot of projects at work this week so yeah we're, get that money yeah we're up and rolling Make and that money move doing all doing a lot of stuff okay well i am getting ready to go back to school quote go back to school we had staff development all this last week and we're all set to go online starting monday so that that's what's going on in my life it's yeah. a super exciting time teaching band online but we're, we're figuring it out it's a new new dawn of a new age upon us yeah but uh at least we're able to gather together and sit around a table and talk about a great tv show highlight of our week yes so let's go ahead and hopefully we will have listener interaction we still have not officially launched the podcast but we have created all the social media we have also submitted it to itunes or apple Podcasts, as it's called and we're just waiting for them to approve it and then it'll be live and we're recording this episode now we're recording episode three later this evening and you'll be getting them all at once and then periodically after that so you're welcome (laughs) (laughs) so when the show is launched please reach out to us we'll have information about our contact stuff later but for now we're going to go ahead and jump into our episode discussion we're only talking about one episode this week that episode is book one chapter three the southern air temple it is directed by lauren mcmullen which is different the first two episodes were directed by dave filoni again of star wars fame it was written by one of the show creators michael dante dimartino It originally aired on February 25th of 2005, and something I wanted to keep track of, the show was primarily animated by two different animation studios in South Korea. The first two episodes were animated by a studio called JM Animation, and this one is by a studio called DR Movie. There's another one that's introduced, I think, in season three, but for now, those are the two primary ones. And so the only reason I want to point that out is because if you keep track of it, there are differences in how certain things are animated. So just just to keep that in mind, this is by DR Movie. And I have a summary that I'm going to go ahead and read, and then we'll jump right into it. Aang, Katara, and Sokka make a stop by Aang's old home, the Southern Air Temple, and find that Aang truly is the last of the airbenders. Meanwhile, Zuko and Uncle Iroh make a stop to repair the damage that Aang did to their ship in the last episode but he's unable to keep the secret that he captured and then lost the Avatar, and Commander Zhao reveals a little bit about Zuko's past. So, starting off, are there any, like, just general things we want to mention and not linger on for too long? I was going to say something, but I think I want to linger on it for a little while. <laughs> okay. Had that, you added that caveat there the little, at the end, and so, uh, no, it's it was actually a pretty big point that I had a question about. So okay, we'll, we'll bookmark we'll that. that. Yeah, we'll bring that up a little later. Let's just start. How about a, a little bit more general question? Is there anything, a small moment from this episode maybe that you really liked? Melanie, how about we start with you? I like Sokka's obsession with food. 
I totally <laughs> hashtag relatable, right? Yes. So relatable. <laughs> I thought it was hysterical. Like there's obviously some major things happening. He's like, cool, cool, cool. When we get in the cave, can we? They have cured meats, right? Like that's right. what we're gonna get. <laughs> I, thought, I thought that was really funny. And then this was the introduction of Momo, and I love and Momo. Yeah, little Momo is adorable. Andrew has a dog named Cosmo, whose yes. nickname has been for a long time Momo. Yes. So yes, my initials are A N G. So it was Ang and Momo for the longest time. After I yeah. started watching the show, I we kind of adopted, stopped calling him Cosmo, and I started calling him Momo, and it. Everyone else picked it up without really noting what the reference was, but I was just like, this is fine. <laughs> I'm, I'm cool with it. <laughs> just a fun little tidbit that I wanted to throw out there. When we first approached the Air Temple, Aang references the mountain range that this is located in. It's called the Potola Mountain Range. And I looked it up just to think maybe there's some sort of translation that would have some sort of meaning. And what I found from Google Translate, at least, was that Potola is Slovenian, Maybe a coincidence, but it's Slovenian for ceiling. Hmm. Hmm. So I would like to think that's purposeful. Um, I think there's going to be other words or other names or places that translate directly to something, and it's definitely intentional. But for a temple that is located in the skies, I don't think Patola or ceiling is too far off of a guess. No, that's very interesting. That, that is so something you would do. Okay. <laughs> this traces back to my love of Harry Potter, though, which... I mean, I've, I've been into Harry Potter since the late 90s, and that's something that J.K. Rowling was always really intentional about, was having names be references to things right. like Voldemort. I, I don't remember the exact translation, but it's, it's French, and more is death. I just don't remember what Volda is. So th- there's, and Lupin, like Lupin is moon. Lupa, yeah. yeah. So, so it goes back to my love of Harry Potter to, to trace down those word origins and things right. like I mean, that. Well, you think that when you're you're creating something, you're making something up there, if you're just going to pull a name out of thin air, there's usually some kind of thought process behind it. So, and, and especially in something like this that is so heavily rooted in a foreign culture. Yeah. So that, the only thing that makes me think it might be a coincidence is that it's Slovenian and the show yeah. draws its interest, uh, its, its inspiration from Chinese and Japanese culture mostly. Uh, but still, who knows? Any other like fun little things or specific moments that made you smile or that you really enjoyed? I did notice, now that you mentioned it was a different animation company that did it, I did notice some minor differences throughout the show that I never really associated with it. But mm-hmm. it was like very obvious because like Sokka's face seemed to be like more mature in a way. Like mm-hmm. it was it was kind of weird. Like every t- every time we looked at him, it was it looked a little different than we, we saw in, in the first two episodes. And then there's this incorporation of like kind of highly illustrated CGI that starts to operate. Like when the air ball goal spins mm-hmm. and when the air temple doors open, mm-hmm. they're not oh, like truly yeah. in it. Like you can tell that there's, there's a, a little different bit of CGI kind of animation. to them. And I think I don't remember that happening no matter what moving parts existed in the first two episodes, it it was still animated. And so you started to see some more of the computer graphics in, in this episode. And I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, it was definitely something that when I, it was the last time I watched through the show that I started paying attention to who animated which episode. And then I, it was like a, a, a switch. I'm like, oh, of course, that makes sense. Right. I, I recognize it now. Yeah. Can So now that you know the 
companies that animate it, you can tell like episode by episode, like, yeah, generally this looks more like so-and-so did it other yeah. than, okay. Yeah. And you'll, you'll notice, especially I've already watched just a tiny bit ahead. Cause I like to direct the conversations, but in the next episode, you'll even realize how different some of the specific action animation is from in this one. Hmm. Since you mentioned the door, I did think the door scene was really, really cool. Like it stood out a little It stood a yeah. out a lot and it kind of referencing it back to Harry Potter. That's immediately what my brain jumped to. Yeah. Chamber of Secrets. Right. Chamber, Chamber of Secrets. Secrets yeah. Wide open. I thought that was really fun. Well, let's go ahead and go into some more major discussion So the very first thing I have, and it's pretty much the first thing that happens in the episode, is Katara trying to be realistic with Aang about managing his expectations and his excitement going to the Air Temple without completely telling him the people you love and miss are probably dead. At first, it's, I mean, Aang is, he's so eager, you know, and shortly after, he does make a good point that the only way to get to the Air Temple, I mean, it's quite a journey they're making and it's quite a climb into these ceiling mountains, and he says it's the only way to get there is by flying bison. So, I mean, theoretically, it's possible that the airbenders, seeing that there's a war and being a peace-loving people, would just be like, I'm going to chill up here. Right. And I'll survive on my own without getting involved. It's like they're the Sweden. Sweet, yes, they're the Sweden of this world. Switzerland, thank there you. There you go. They're the Switzerland of this world. Not my problem. Not yeah, just stay out of it. <laughs> I think that broke my heart even a little bit more whenever we find out that, in fact, like, everyone is gone. That you, it gave you that moment of maybe maybe everyone's there. He's right. Because, yeah, he brings up some good points. Like, I mean, With you can't Appa, just go there. It's hard yeah. to get there. So I was like, oh, okay, maybe maybe they've just been chilling. Mm-hmm. And then to find out that they weren't. I was I was really sad for him. I mean, I I also wanted to draw back that one of the few things that Grand Grand actually told us in the first two episodes is that they thought all of the airbenders were extinct. Yeah, not that's gone, the specific word they use. Extinct, oh, that's like, right. Like, like, not that we haven't seen some in a while. Like They're gone. We think they are no longer here. Right, the way we, of the dodo. Yeah, they're gone <laughs> off of this earth. And so I thought it was, I think that was one of the few foreshadowing moments that we actually got from Grand Grand in the first two episodes was there are no more airbenders. Like it's been a hundred years and we would have at least seen someone or heard word of something. But Right. And as they start exploring this temple, this area, Sokka and Kotara come across little hints that the Fire Nation have been there. Like they find the helmet and they're going to show Aang, but Kotara says, oh no, this might hurt him too much right now. Let's let's hide that with the snowbank and make a joke out of Sokka for a second. But what I, especially the second time watching it today, because I watched it this morning, I watched it now. The thing that stood out to me was the ruthlessness of the Fire Nation, the ends that they had to go to, to even get there, to, to, to wipe out these people. I mean, they're literally like a mile high in the sky. Imagine what kind of effort they had to put forward to, to attack and with the purpose of getting rid of the Avatar. Like that's that's clearly they didn't wipe out the the Earthbenders or the Water Nation. They wiped out the Airbenders because they knew that was the next group in the cycle, the next nation in the cycle to receive the Avatar. So they they were about the genocide. And I think that's it it's very intense because it would have to be. Mm-hmm. That sole purpose of trying to destroy the line of the Avatar because it is such a, a hard feat to get up into the Southern Air Temple. But you're also attacking nomads. You're attacking monks. Like, 
peace-loving people. Yeah, like the people who are like, they're living their lives uh, so far separated from everyone else because we start to learn that their whole goal is the spiritual enlightenment as, as air nomads, as you know, they're to reach enlightenment, to separate themselves from the earth. And their temple actually literally does that. It's literally as high as they could possibly get. And as far as they can go from earth. So there's this huge separation between the air nomads and every single other kingdom that we see in the avatar universe, because that's their goal is to, to be separate, to be, away from and to live their own lives as peacefully as possible. And yet we still see that the Fire Nation through many obstacles went over all of them just to attack the air nomads. Mm -hmm. And so that is, it's kind of unsettling. It's like now we're starting to get how nefarious the Fire Nation actually is. Right. Now, as they explore first, we, we get introduced to the idea of Monk Gyatso. We learned from the previous episode that Aang didn't have parents, but here we have a pseudo-father who he said was, was the best airbender in the world, taught him everything he knew, and we have this flashback, this really playful flashback that introduces a couple of questions. The Aang is moping a little bit, and he says, are they sure it's not a mistake that I'm the Avatar? Is Is there a problem here, like, what if I'm really not who they say I am? And Monk Gyatso's response is, the only mistake is that they told you before you were 16. So why did they tell Aang before he was 16? I think because of his curious nature, he I feel like he stumbled upon it and then had to confirm because he wouldn't probably... him. If I draw the line of him being a child, me as a child, if I found out information... I wanted to know more about it until I had it confirmed or denied if that was the actual case. So if I had to put myself in his shoes, if I found out something, then I would pester the people that know until they told me what I wanted to know. So maybe he kind of forced their hands a little bit. Maybe. Did you have any thoughts about that, Andrew? I went more toward they were afraid. They knew that they had to kind of force the timeline on it. Because something was impending. Oh, so you think like there was they, they knew that something was going to happen? Yes. And that this giant war was going to break out? And I'm hoping that I've distanced myself enough from reality to say that that's just a guess. Well, that, that was my thought too. I right. mean, this when isn't just necessarily me thinking to a particular future moment. This is me thinking, what if they caught word that the Fire Lord and the Fire Nation were growing stronger and were planning something? And so they say, oh, snap. We have an avatar here, and he's the only one who can stop them, and he's not even remotely prepared. If they come, he will die. Or we don't even know who he is yet. Right. Mm -hmm. So we need to figure that out. Right. And then once, once we know who it is, we need to tell him and train him and go from there. And make him he, our savior. <laughs> yeah, because he needs to be ready for whatever comes. Hmm. So I, I, I like your theory too, Melanie, because kids are curious, and we definitely see from Aang that he's playful and... They throw the cakes on the other monks, which is really fun. And we see where he gets his playfulness from, from Monk Yatso. And so it is definitely a possibility. And I, I wouldn't be surprised at all if he he did pester to to learn more about this thing that he'd only had hinted at. I mean, yeah, based on what we saw in the first two episodes, that's, I mean, they explored the Fire Nation ship because of Aang. Mm -hmm. You know, Katara was just like, no, 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 no. We don't, we don't go that. here. Right. We don't. 
we don't do that um and and it's like whatever like let's check it out and so yeah, you, he you says if you want to be a, a waterbender you have to let go of fear or something like that to, to katara yeah and so it's just like he's obviously very curious and very motivated to find out things that he doesn't know because i mean again he was raised in peacetime so he doesn't think anything is a real threat or he doesn't perceive a lot of real threats so curiosity hasn't really backfired on him yet mm-hmm so I think that is a, based on what we've seen already, that's actually a very valid prediction or, or guess that he knew that there was an airbender and so he wanted to know. And then we come to the major Aang moment of this episode, which is Aang chasing the lemur and coming across the pile of Fire Nation soldiers, which is, I mean, that's, that's good, but they are surrounding his friend Gyatso. So, I mean, he clearly went down with a fight he he gave them all that he had, but that scene is devastating. Got wrenching. <laughs> and the the fact that we are on episode three of a children's show and we are dealing with genocide and death of family is huge. It's heavy. That's some it's, heavy it's stuff. It's really heavy. And you know, obviously Melanie is our new person here. We were watching earlier and she gasped when that happened because all of a sudden we see the the dawn of realization on Aang's face. The camera pans around and we see this awful thing in front of us. So it, it it's heartbreaking is what it is. And what what's more heartbreaking is Aang's reaction. Again with the emotions. The the emotions, the emotions that are so intense that they trigger the avatar state, which we, we've seen twice before this point. The first time was in a flashback and we saw he was in danger of drowning from the storm and that's what froze him in the first place. The second time was on Zuko's ship when he had been tossed over the side again into the water, but this time it was to retaliate against Zuko. So those were both instances where his life was threatened. This was not that. This was a severe emotional reaction and it triggered the avatar state. Which also harkens back to the point that I made in the previous episode that how attached emotionally the powers are to the individuals who utilize them. So when you have someone who is the avatar in such a young state, you have this volatile nature of not being able to process this information, not being able to handle overwhelming grief or, or sadness because he's 12. He may be technically 112, but he's a 12-year-old mm-hmm. who has lost everything he's ever loved, everyone he's ever known, especially his most closest men- like his closest mentor who he considers the to be closest to. He doesn't necessarily consider him a, a father figure in in any sense of the word because they don't have that kind of structure, but at the same time it's the closest person that he's been to. And he's, he's gone, which, I mean, you would think that he, since he's been gone for so long, he would have put together that he probably wasn't there anymore. But the scene obviously tells that he was taken. It wasn't, uh, he wasn't in a grave. He wasn't peacefully set aside. He wasn't buried. He was in the middle of a battle and remains there. And that's, what I think, the, the most heart-wrenching part was, is he saw that how overwhelmed he was and still managed to do what he could, do as much as possible, knowing that that was his mentor. That was the head of the air temple. 
perhaps this isn't something that necessarily went through Aang's head now, but I would suspect it might go through it later. Gyatso died for Aang. That's what I was thinking. Right. He died for Aang because, again, the reason the Fire Nation ascended to this temple and wiped out all of the airbenders is to wipe out the Avatar. And so Gyatso putting up such a, a heavy fight was... I mean, even though Aang wasn't necessarily there to be protected immediately in the moment, he fought to defeat as much Fire Nation as he could going down with him. Yeah, it just that just showed, like you said earlier, I mean, there's no structure of the family figures there. But I just think that was the, the most powerful way to display love for somebody was to sacrifice everything. He knew he probably was going to get overwhelmed no matter how talented he was with airbending, but he was willing to do that sacrifice for Aang because he knew the importance of him. And I, that was really powerful for me in that moment. There's one more thing I wanted to say about the Avatar State thing was, we again, we saw him enter the Avatar State in the previous episode, but what we didn't see until this time was a montage of the lights in the, the, the eyes lighting up in the air temple where we see the, the row of avatars from Aang's past lives. We see various other temples. And so not only was this emotion powerful enough to trigger the avatar state, it also triggered telling the world that the avatar is back. Yeah. I had, okay. So I kind of drew a connection to Lord of the Rings. That's we're obviously geeking out a lot Mm. in the third movie, whenever they like lit all the signals to let Mm. them know, that's exactly what my brain went to. I was like, everybody knows now there's no hiding him. So it's about to go down. Now all of China knows you're here. Oh, of course you went to Disney. (laughs) Perfect. (laughs) That was the main thing I wanted to point out. There was that the world knows that the avatar is back. So I actually had a question about like, Watched this multiple times, and again, I had a, I have a question, legitimate question, because mm-hmm. I was just like, if we've been in the Avatar state twice, and there are devoted temples to the Avatar that get lit up when he enters the Avatar state, why are we just now finding out I think that the Avatar's alive? I think it's put for the level that he got to. The other ones, yeah, he was triggered because of mm-hmm. situations that he was put in. But I think it's what we've been talking about. It's drawing from a deeper emotional state. So his emotions, his anger, his sadness, his his love is all kind of coming together. And it's that powerful that it just lit everything so up. So kind of like scream versus laughter and monster yes. scene. Yeah. And again, exactly. and again, it's the same thing you were talking about in our last episode, how this all ties into not only the physicality of bending, but also the emotional side, uh, the state you're in when you are performing your bending. The, the two times previous to now where we saw Aang enter the Avatar state, it was because his life was in danger. Right. And it protected him. Right. But this time, he is just at such a heightened state of emotion that it acts as a beacon to everything else. That does bring me to an, another conclusion that maybe this is the first time he intentionally triggered the Avatar state. And so instead of the reactionary Avatar state of like this untapped power coming out to save him whether he recognizes it or not versus he's ready to he he sees something he's triggered and he's ready to go avenge his fallen mentor Mm -hmm. he's ready to go like fight someone and that is that's where it becomes more of like this intentional like let's go right and so that that's pointing out something that we hadn't said up to this point we said that this was triggered by the devastation Mm -hmm. of the loss 
but I agree with you. It's also about the anger that he's feeling towards the, the people and the nation. He said last time that he had friends in the Fire Nation. This concept of the, the Fire Nation being his enemies is completely foreign to him until this moment right now when he sees exactly what the Fire Nation has taken away from him. So he definitely feels betrayed, I bet, too. Yeah. Betrayed, yeah, probably. Because who knows what happened to the friends he might have had at that time and what side they took when the war came to fruition. Maybe that's how they knew, because they were friends, right? That's what he mentioned. Is Maybe that's how they knew how to get there. Was Possibly. because of their friendship. And Aang likes to show people new things so far that we've discovered. So maybe that, I don't know. Maybe. Are you saying that Aang led the Fire Nation to the He might have given him some clues. Oh, because he has friends in that. Because he has friends. Fire Nation, gotcha. And they were like, there, there's no way anybody can get up here. You need, a, you need an air bison. Okay, there's one more thing I had for Aang's part of this episode. Um, we see Katara is the one who's eventually able to calm Aang down by calling herself and Sokka his family. So, Aang, you have lost your family, but don't worry. We are here for you. We are your family now. Which they've known each other for, how long would you say it's been? Maybe two days, maybe a week at max at this point? Right, I mean, they have gone from the, well, I guess they went from the South Pole to the Southern Air Temple. Right. So it might not have been that far. So yeah, a couple days of travel, we don't know how long they spent in. I mean, it, it was only two episodes, so it feels like a pretty short amount of time. Mm-hmm. But he wasn't in the Southern Water Tribe for very long. They couldn't have traveled for very long. And here we are. And there's already this very strong connection. But I also want to point out that we see that in... This is the third episode. And we already care so much about Aang that he loses someone that we have never been introduced to. And we're like devastated like <laughs> yeah <laughs> it is not okay like we we you immediately feel for ang in a world where you're not watching this in a netflix binge you're waiting a week between these episodes by episode three you're already like man ang i got you bro like <laughs> <laughs> i i will say i definitely held my emotions in check more watching it with you today than i did watching it by myself at home this morning right <laughs> <laughs> oh no! It, get, it gets you. It, it gets you. You're so not ready for sad. it. It was really sad for him, especially since, like, I mean, it was just so simple. Like this little cutscene of like, you can tell that Monk Yatso is just upset that they even told him in the first place. He's trying to literally clear his mind of it. Like, he's not training him how to be the Avatar. He's telling him how to make a cake. Like he's just like, he's making cakes, and then it's not even to eat the cake. It's to prank the other monks. And it's yeah. like. You can like, tell that he's just so, like, the the youthful spirit of Aang isn't something that's ever going to go away. Mm-hmm. It's it's serious Mr. Miyagi vibes for me. Right. He's yeah. literally been taught by an elder, uh, like an elder monk, to prank other elder monks. <laughs> like, he has to be 60, 70 years old or something like that. And he's teaching this 12-year-old how to prank people. <laughs> so it just kind of proves that the air nomads, or especially Gyatso, has that deeper connection with him. Because he is that innocent, kind of carefree lifestyle, he was just like, you're worrying way too much about this Avatar stuff. Like, I'm upset for you that you even know that you're the Avatar right now. Mm-hmm. So in the meantime, I'm going to try to force you to be a kid because you're 12. He's over here contemplating his life, feeling all the feels, curled up in a ball of emotions and tensions. 
a glass case of emotion. Let's just reference all the things. Right. <laughs> I mean, it's how we talk anyway. It, it was going to happen at some point. You know, basically talking right. about quotes all day long. Right. So. So, but it's literally 30 seconds of this flashback with Monk Yatso, And you just immediately connect with him because you can tell he's, he's fighting for Aang. He's trying to do what's best for Aang. He's trying to teach Aang. And he's also trying to like be that person to calm him down and, and get him grounded again. Not really, because they're air stomachs. But, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but bring, him, bring him back to disconnect himself from all of those things. Um, so I think it was really important that in just that short amount of time, in this, this way of storytelling, you're introduced to him. You know more about him. How he ties into a character that you already only kind of know. And yet by the end of the episode, when you find out that he's dead and how that affects Aang, it changes everything. I know we've touched a lot on this, but I, there's one more other thing that what you keep saying, like we've only had like a 30 second like introduction to who he was. He, I felt like he said the most profound line in the whole episode. And this might not be word for word because I was trying to write it down as quickly as I could. We can't concern ourselves with what was, but concern ourselves with what is. Mm-hmm. And I loved that. And just like you said in the last episode, you felt like you had learned a lot of life moments from the show yeah. growing up. And I feel like that is a very, very prominent lesson that we can teach or live by and, and teach our children and, and whatnot from here on in. Because like, it's like a very G-friendly version of the serenity prayer. Right. Knowing that you can't do anything about the past and taking control of what you can in your future. Right. And I just love that because I feel like that is a a tone that a lot of us kind of fit into is that we worry a lot about what our past selves have done or like what we've said before. Regrets. Regrets, the missed opportunities that we had. And we're totally taking those moments away from our present. And, And the fact that it was just really quickly said and it was just trying to do what he was for to calm him down. I felt like that was a really cool moment for him too. And it's just to say like it happened in 30 seconds and it was already, I felt like that was like the tone of the whole episode for him. I want to ask you, Melanie, one more question before we turn the episode over to Zuko and to Zhao. I wanted to know what your thoughts were on the temple itself and the avatars that we see inside. So I didn't even know that that's where we were going with this. I don't know why I didn't click in my brain that he would have been a reincarnation and he would come back as a different. So I guess because we are referencing everything, I thought of a Time Lord from Doctor Who who's just like reincarnates into a different person. And the only difference is, is he doesn't, he has like these faint memories of it, of who he was before. Like he knew who Avatar Roku was without the Right. And he was like, how did you know who that was? It's, there's nothing on there. So he has all of the memories there. It's just, they're not present for him right now. But it was really interesting that they had statues. And I thought the order of it was mm-hmm. cool too. Yeah, because the f- that's how they know what the next avatar will be when the current one passes away, correct? Right. It's called the avatar cycle. And right now they're on the air. And then next would be water, earth, fire. And it repeats on and on. So it makes sense right now because that was a question that I did have last time. I was like, what is so important about the airbender? How come they are chosen to be the avatar and not one of the other three elements. And now it's all coming together. And it also tells us why this book of the show is called water. The season, the, the, the season is a, a book and this is the water book. So he's pursuing the next thing in the cycle, which is water first. And then he has to 
follow with earth and then follow with fire. So. Yeah, Katara kind of throws that out there too at mm-hmm. some point where she's like, so that means the next thing you have to learn is water and right. then earth bending and then fire bending. I was like, does he have to learn it in that order? But apparently, yes. Yes, <laughs> it, it follows a cycle. When I saw the temple, though, I thought for a second, because there are moments in our actual history when a, an important figure dies in their community, like a king or an emperor or something, in their burial site, they have warriors there. They thought taking them to their afterlife would protect them in the afterlife, too. So I, for a second, I thought, I was like, ooh, this is a tomb. Mm-hmm. This is a tomb where his master has died and they're protecting him. And I was really, I mean, we found out that that ended up happening anyway, but my brain went there. Because that's what they look like, the the terracotta soldiers. Right. They do look like the terracotta soldiers. Yeah. That's fair. And, and when I, I first, even knowing what was happening, when they walk into a room of statues like that, I was just like, well, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Those are the avatars. Never mind. <laughs> and y'all are doing a really good job of not giving anything away. You're welcome. We're, we're trying. It is super hard. Because <laughs> like the entire time, I'm a very like active watcher, listener. So the entire time I was like, ooh, is this when it's going to happen? And neither of the boys said anything. <laughs> nope. And to touch on that a little bit, I tempted Andrew all week with, so am I anywhere correct with this? Am I, are my predictions <laughs> oh, your, anywhere? Your predictions from last episode? Yeah, I was like, am yeah. I just, I was like, just blink at me. Blink at me to say like, yes, you're correct. Or no, you're wrong. And to Andrew's credit, he did not give anything away. I mean, threatened him with our like wedding vows. And I, he I pretended to fall asleep. Yeah, he kept falling. And it was. <laughs> He's really good at fake sleeping. <laughs> so. Well, we can use that as sort of sort of a transition. Andrew, I believe you have her predictions from last episode written down. I do. Uh, do we want to revisit any of those and see what came true? A lot of this is about Zuko. So we're about to get there. Okay. Your prediction about the Southern Air Temple was background with Ank. Yes. Check. Crushed it. Monks. Check. Crushed it. And then I think this was meant to say training Ank. It says tranking Ank. <laughs> <laughs> and not, not, not like with a Q, like tranking, trank, T-R-A-N-K. Or tranquilizing. No, just trank. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Like, there's no Q in there. It's just trank, like tank with an R. Yeah. Okay. So very misspelled, quick little note that I made, but it just says training Aang and then, oh, it's supposed to be say tracking. I got it. We'll have to cut some of that out. Tracking Aang, because that was about Zuko as well. Oh, okay. Gotcha. So it was like, how was he able to follow him around? I think Mm -hmm. is what that that was about, which not so much. We didn't learn anything about that. We didn't. We didn't. We learned a lot about Zuko. We did learn a lot about Zuko. But we did not learn how he is tracking the Avatar. No. Right. This was sort of a, a skip episode as far as Zuko tracking the Avatar goes. But what, what they've done, as I said in the summary, they have arrived at sort of a Fire Nation army dock or port, and they are seeking ship repairs. First thing we see is that Zuko's ship is a lot smaller than all of the other ships that are docked at this port. It's a really tiny ship, so apparently the prince maybe isn't as well thought of as you might expect a prince to be. Otherwise, he'd have probably the biggest ship. But we're also introduced to Commander Zhao, and Zuko makes it very clear to Uncle that he doesn't want news of the Avatar's capture and obviously his escape to be told to anybody else because he doesn't want anybody to get in his way, is the way he phrases it. And the thing is, you would think that as the son of the Fire Lord, he's the prince, 
you would want him to you you won't you would want anybody to capture the avatar if it meant that the fire nation emerged victorious from this war but he he is so hellbent on reclaiming honor and I, at this point in the the show we don't know what the honor is like what 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 honor is he talking about now we get a little bit more information on that in this episode but as of that point he is just he's being selfish is the way it comes across because we don't have the full story it's obviously a very funny juxtaposition when he pulls up into dock and it's like this tiny little beat up boat compared to the entire fire fleet and you're just like oh maybe maybe not and what it does harken back to for me is it kind of feels like every comical cop movie that you might see in the sense of, give me a second, I have a point. <laughs> when things hit the fan and like, give me your gun and badge, they still go out and try to solve the crime without the resources that they were previously given in order to reclaim their station. That's what it kind of felt like at this point where he was just like, don't tell anybody I lost the avatar because I'm going to get him. Like, this is my thing. And I want to go get him because that is the only mission I've been given. And although it might not technically still be his mission, like maybe he isn't really part of the fleet. If that's, if he has some kind of junk boat that I guess you can have this, you know, essentially for him to sail around and try to find the avatar, it makes it seem like he's cut off from most of if not all of the resources of the fire nation and now whatever his job was before that was revoked is now his only purpose in life in order to try to come back and get back into good graces so that's what it kind of harkened back to for me is this is what it felt like melanie did you recognize commander zhao no was i supposed to maybe Okay, I didn't pay attention. It's okay. So the voice of Commander Zhao is Jason Isaacs, who is Lucius Malfoy in hey. Harry Potter. Hey. Yeah. Ta-da. You know, it's because he didn't have his very smooth British accent. Making right. <laughs> well, he, he clearly has a penchant for villainous roles. Always. One thing that you'll notice going throughout the show is there are lots of those little celebrity cameos. Um, and I would say that's the first of them is Jason Isaacs playing Commander Zhao. So that's cool. Yeah, that is pretty he cool. He always plays and somebody so angry. I mean, he's Fire Nation, so that's what happens. That's what I feel like in this episode. It hammered home yet again that Zuko A can't have a normal conversation with anyone. <laughs> and B, it always seems like there's this high level of mistrust, high level of scrutiny. There's all sorts of like, espionage involved with the fire nation like you see ang is just very upfront with everything even katara and Sokka are a little more they speak to the point though but you could tell that there was a there was not only a battle of like station between Zhao and zuko there was also this kind of like mental chess game going on like i'm not going to tell you this information but i will tell you this information and then they have to like figure out against their own people who's telling the truth all of them are being deceitful by right. nature and and it's like aren't y'all on the same team what's going on like why is why are we seeing this already that zuko literally pulls up to port and he's ready to fight someone like he's already maxed out 
zero to a hundred. And it's just like, don't tell no one uncle. All right. Don't tell no one. I'm going to get the avatar. Everybody is out for personal glory, not shared glory. They don't want necessarily, obviously they want the fire nation to win, but if they can get personal victories along the way, that's what they're mostly after. When we're introduced to Zhao, we find out he's been promoted. He's now a commander. So hooray for me. Look at the, the rank that I have ascended to. And here you are still the, the banished prince. And I, I highlight that phrase because when it was said in the episode, Melanie was like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> so talk about that a little bit, Melody. So I literally wrote banished. And that Commander Zhao was a flipping coward because I was really upset with his character. Anyway, so that made a lot more of a connection, kind of like it did with Aang earlier, that how all of this came to fruition for him to have had the scar and how what how come he's so, like you said earlier, hell-bent on fan, finding the Avatar for himself because he has daddy issues. He wants to get back in his good graces and be welcomed home and... I guess he thinks like if he brings home the one thing that will allow the Fire Nation to win, he will be welcomed back with open arms. Mm-hmm. And I just love how Uncle Iroh is, I know he's part of the Fire Nation, but he's the calmest one out of literally anybody involved with that. Yeah, you can you can tell that there's a disconnect between Iroh and every other every Fire Nation other character Fire Nation. Yeah. introduced to. Yeah, yeah. That's why we so love I, I love that he is, he is as, Zuko feels as old as he is even though he's only 16 but he feels a lot more mature and feels like he has all these responsibilities on his shoulders he's trying to reclaim his his honor and he doesn't care if he's rude about it he doesn't care if he's always angsty or angry but uncle iroh is still there to like calm down mm-hmm. drink your tea he's like, <laughs> i don't want my stupid tea anyway he's <laughs> he's always there to be that calming like second voice for him like almost like a conscience for him so we learn from Zhao that Zuko is a banished prince. He's a failure in the eyes of his father, a disgrace to the Fire Nation. Dang. And what do you think that's about? Because, that's a rap sheet there. Yeah. Uncle Iroh kind of hinted to it a little bit when he said, the last time you challenged a master, you got hurt. And so it had to do something with like him doing that. He might have gone against somebody's wishes, most likely his father's. And did this thing because he's so prideful and ended up getting really hurt. And we, we also learned that he has been on this journey to find the Avatar for two years. Oh, yeah. For two years. Two Be- years. So I looked it up. Zuko is 16 years old right now, at least according to the internet. So you know it's true. So he was kicked out or whatever transpired at the age of 14 and set out on this journey, which is insane when you think about it. I mean, he's a prince you'd think that he'd be afforded the the wealth and the status that a prince would be deserving of. So it just makes you question what, what transgression did he commit to lead him to becoming the banished, shameful, disgraceful prince of the Fire Nation? He must have At really... At the age of 14. At the age of 14. <laughs> At the age, yeah, he must have really effed up. Like, yeah. I don't know what he did, but I can't imagine ever... James ever having done something to the point where I just don't want to see him again at a tender age of 14. Like that would be insane. Think about it in the sense of what nation is so strict that their 14 year olds are 
able to be punished as yeah, such. Yeah, held to such a high standard that right. it would merit this level of denunciation. Yeah, I mean, because I'm sure if that were the case, I would have been kicked out of the Fire Nation at 14 too. Like, <laughs> 100%. Whatever happened, he's still 14. Like, right. That means he's living in such a world where whatever he does or is capable of doing... There's no forgiveness for his age. So he was awarded no grace at any point. Yeah, there wasn't any mercy shown. And I think that plays into, yet again, what the Fire Nation is. There isn't a compassionate part of the Fire Nation. You have them raiding an air temple of peaceful air nomads just to hopefully knock out the next reincarnation of the Avatar. And they banished a 14-year-old. For some reason. So like you're starting to get a, a list of things the Fire Nation has done, is doing, will do in order to accomplish their goals and how ruthless and desensitized they must be. So Zhao finds out about the Avatar. Who dropped the ball on like telling the crew <laughs> to not give away positions or information? Like, Well, think goes- about it. How much loyalty is there between a group of adult trained Fire Nation soldiers to a disgraced Prince 16-year-old. I guess that's true. Also, you have to think, there might have been some level of, well, they're not going to talk to the crew. As long as Uncle doesn't say anything, who's the only one here that has any real clout, there's no reason for me to tell anyone else not to tell anyone because we're the only ones who are important. So I think it was a little, there's a little hubris in there too on Zuko's part of like, as long as uh, myself and uncle don't say anything, we'll be solid. And then they find out like, oh really? Because the guys at the docks told me that (laughs) this is what happened. And then you can just tell on Zuko's face, he was just like, I did not think about that. Why are y'all talking to them anyway? Like, (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And so that's when we get the, the whole conversation about being banished and disgraceful and everything. And something I wanted to point out that we can sort of track going forward is the moments when Zuko's scar is sort of the highlight of the frame of the screen, especially in this episode is where that really starts taking place. There were a few moments I wrote down, and I, I think I probably even missed one or two. But when Zhao first talks about Zuko's temper at dinner, he says, two years away at sea has done little to temper your anger or something to that effect. And it sort of highlights it, it sort of highlights his face, his scar, and that's when he says, So how's your search for the Avatar going? And then when Zuko later challenges Zhao to an Agni Kai, that's the moment that you mentioned, Melanie, where Zuko says, I won't forget the last time I challenged a master or fought a master because camera pan over to my left side of my face, I've got a scar there. <laughs> so I mean it's it's really, really cool. That that scene, that that shot in particular is really cool. And then there's one more moment when Zuko defeats Zhao, which is amazing. Mm-hmm. I thought that was the cool, like, we'd seen a battle sequence already or a fight sequence. And I think with just the two of them, that was so awesome. It was really, like, the animation was really cool. And every time, like, how they're able to summon the fire was really, I, I thought that was awesome. Yeah, the Agni Kai is pretty awesome. Yeah. What do you have to say about Andrew? Oh, no, that's, uh, that's what I was going to bring up, is Agni Kai's in general are just great moments in, throughout the series. But so especially, we get to see more of it? Yeah, we get this first one, and you're just like, whoa. I mean, it's, it's a true, like, gauntlet challenge. It's, it's right. like, it's a true duel. Forget your words. Forget, like, I'm not going to he- hear an apology. We're going to fight this out, whoever comes out on top. And the expectation seems to be loser gets either severely injured or maybe even killed, because when Zhao was defeated, he was expecting 
Zuko to, to, to deliver some blow. kind of final blow. Yeah. I did want to touch on that. How we've seen the Fire Nation so far being totally ruthless, doing this whole genocide and taking out everybody in their path in order to get to the one thing that will stop them from victory. So you would think that would kind of carry on into their prince, right? He is going to be no mercy, going to go all out because he wants the glory. And then he didn't kill him at the end. He didn't strike that final blow. Or giving him a matching scar. Or giving him a matching scar. Yeah. And so I did write down, I was like, he does have good in him. There is a little like glimmer of hope that maybe he'll be good in the rest of the series, but I don't know. I'm trying to the drawing of Stitch from Lilo and Stitch. Like, this is your bad. It's really high, but way down here, there's a little good. <laughs> You're just like, yeah, that that's Zuko right now. Hopefully we don't get sued. <laughs> I don't think we will. I was like, quit, quit mentioning names. You already did Netflix earlier. <laughs> So just a few moments from the Agni Kai, I wanted to point out the the Zuko directing the fire into the ground to his sides is really cool. The sweeping of the leg that we see like three times because it's so awesome. When the, the tide turns in Zuko's favor, then he has this like pushing motion with his feet. I don't know how to describe it. I don't know. It really. it's, it's almost like, like almost he's striking a match. Yeah, like giving foot. air to the flame to yeah. go farther. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. What no, I was thinking. yeah. Yeah, when he first... say striking a match, it kind of like that's yeah. what his heel is doing. He's yeah. like... Is, is sparking something. Yeah, that's such a that cool visual. Cool. And then Zuko, when he does win, he doesn't deliver the final blow. He gives sort of a warning shot to the side of Zhao's head. And Zuko says to him, next time you get in my way, I promise I won't hold back. Now Zhao thinks your father raised a coward because you won't, you're not, you're not willing to deliver this final blow. And so as Zuko, after he says that line and he starts walking away and Zhao jumps up and tries to take down the 16-year-old with his back turned to him. Flipping coward. That's why I wrote that down. Sorry. And he's also still the son of the Fire Lord. Like, banished or not, you'd have to think there'd be some kind of repercussion for that, don't you yeah. think? Right. Then we see maybe a tiny little glimpse into, we haven't seen Uncle really firebend Dude. at all. Uncle Ira got really ticked off. He got really ticked off, and he he jumped into the middle of that fight like it was nothing. He he stopped Zhao like he was a bug and flicked him to the side. Yeah, he just he shut it down. It was He's just like we're totally, done. We're done with totally this. Totally a sleeping dragon. We don't even know. Oh well, we don't even know. You guys don't. I I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Then Iroh says, "Even in exile, my nephew is more honorable than you." And drop the mic. Done. I wanted to <laughs> to ask the question here. Why are we rooting for Zuko? Like, this isn't an episode where Zuko is against Aang. True. That's true. I think it's because the commander, he's such a jerk. That was one thing I wrote down was maybe we just dislike Zhao more. Like, just a little bit the, more. he's more of a bad guy. I right. mean, if you were to ask Andrew why I would be rooting for Zuko... Why, Andrew? It's because you love the root for bad guys. I just feel so bad. I feel like they have so much background on how come they are the way they are. So, yeah, I, I have this tendency to root for the bad guy because I feel like there's a way for them to kind of redeem themselves, even though in a lot of the cases there isn't. But you never know. Or, and then I, I feel like it does open this door of maybe, because you are, unconsciously, I definitely started rooting for Zuko again because I was just like, Maybe he's not the bad guy. Maybe there's something bigger in this picture that I'm not, you know, even three episodes in, I'm not necessarily seeing as Zuko as like the person 
to beat. I think he's just really misunderstood. And that's why I think it's also triggering a lot of his anger is that nobody really understands where he's coming from. Mm-hmm. That's what I was thinking. He, he's clearly removed from the Fire Nation proper. Right. And so he's not like the ultimate bad that is trying to take down the world. He's just maybe a cog in the system. And he's even lost his cog status of a nation that's actively attacking the rest of the world he has been banished from them. So he's going to be in that middle of two Fire Nation to be accepted by anyone else and not Fire Nation enough because he's the banished prince. Yeah. So I wanted to make just a couple more small points about Zuko before we get to the predictions. Uh, First off, Zhao comments on Zuko being beaten by a 12-year-old after he gets the full story of the Avatar in the previous episodes. And Zuko says what he said before. I underestimated him once. I'm not going to underestimate him again. Zhao's comment on that is, well, yeah, you're not going to get the chance because I'm going to go capture the Avatar. But then the whole Agni Kai thing goes down and Zuko shows that he's not to be underestimated either because he just took down a commander of the Fire Nation army. And so I think that's something that's going to be a recurring theme of the show is people underestimating the young in general and them overcoming those expectations. Yeah. Yeah. There's obviously a huge irony in the sense that he's making fun of a 16-year-old for getting beat by a 12-year-old as a grown man then gets beat by a 16-year-old. So it's just like, how is that any different? And then doesn't lose with honor either. Right. And he's still a jerk about it. He's still a coward about it, which... Obviously is where you see that that foundation of Iroh's principles where he's just like, okay, I've let this go on far enough. Like I already told him not to do the Agni Kai in the first place. I already told you that he's a, you know, he's just a boy. Can we just go have some tea and get all of this behind us? <laughs> he's just like, oh, but now you're going to attack him with his back turned to you? No, I'm shutting this down. I like how even all of that happened. All of that. He was like, he showed his strength. The guy was defeated. And then he's like, oh, thank you for my tea. By the right. way, it was it's delicious. my favorite. Yeah. <laughs> and that leads me to my last thing where Zuko and Uncle Iroh have a very nice closing moment of the episode. They leave and Zuko asks, did you really mean that, Uncle? And <laughs> Uncle Iroh says, of course, I told you that ginseng tea is my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> and Zuko just has this nice little smile. He knows they, they, there's this understood thing between them. Right. Know? And I think it's sweet. I mean, especially considering in the previous episodes, the relationship between Zuko and Iroh wasn't necessarily like happy-go-lucky, Mm-mm. good familial relationships between the two. Zuko was definitely like playing spoiled prince and being the boss of his uncle. Right. Uh, but here they share that moment where Iroh has called Zuko more honorable than this commander that he just defeated. And Zuko finds pride in that and maybe even finds a little bit of his honor back in that too. What I was wanting to also bring back is kind of like those life lessons that I feel like the show kind of brings everybody to. Um is when Uncle Iroh tells him to remember to go back to the basics. That is something that he kind of like reiterates two or three times, like for him to not so much worry about like all of these fancy things that he can do, but all of it is all rooted back into basics. And that's something I think anybody can take into life and realize that that's something maybe what we owe, it might be a humbling experience, but it might ultimately be a For the best. Yeah, it ultimately would be for the best. For your for, growth. For everybody, yeah. for, for your growth. Mm-hmm. In the first two episodes between Iroh and Zuko, you f- have this overarching feeling that Zuko 
just thinks as Iroh as a weight, like uh, slowing him down because you just have those training scenes. You have the let's go, let's go after the Avatar. You know, he's always pushing forward, pushing forward, pushing forward. A babysitter that he feels too old for. Right. And and Iroh's like, no, no, slow down, calm down, sit down, drink some tea, you know, make a plan, then act on it. Like, you know, it's always trying to speak some sense into him, but there, there isn't like a familial bond in any way. And then in this episode where he like literally has his back, you see that he's not just there to train Zuko. He's not just there to calm him down or be his counsel. He's there as, because there, there's, there's a caring, there's a, there's a need to protect Zuko that Iroh feels. And he knows that he shouldn't trust anyone in the in the Fire Nation, or else he wouldn't have been ready to shut that down when it happened. So I I definitely feel like in this third episode you get a lot of that. There is a stronger bond there, whether spoken or fully understood at this moment or not. But you can tell it's there. Last last thing, and then we'll go to predictions. And it's just because I found it while scanning through my notes. I wanted to highlight that Momo joining the gang is. He's a remnant of the home that Aang remembers, but that doesn't exist anymore. And Aang even has that moment where it's it's him, Appa, and Momo framed in the shot together, and he says, we're all that's left. And so I think it's really great that we have the three of them together now because they are all that's left of the yeah. Airbenders. One thing I didn't mention is that I... Is it... Do you guys feel the same way, maybe, that Momo led him to that cave where we see his master there and unfortunately he was gone because he wanted Aang to kind of get to the realization that you can't live in this pretty pink bubble where everybody's okay you have to know what really happened so I kind of felt like I don't know dogs have that kind of intuition like a a spirit animal of sorts yeah almost to kind of like lead him to know that you have to get past this hurdle and it's gonna suck and it's gonna hurt but you have to be there in order to, for you to continue to grow to who you need to be. Yeah, we see that Momo is smart. He brings Sokka food, and I think... Oh, I, mean, I love that. Yeah. He, he knows. So I, I don't think that's giving him too much credit at all to say Momo helped Aang to confront what he'd been ignoring to that point. So, predicting the future. Melanie. I have one last, last, last <laughs> thing. Go ahead. Because I do feel it's important to point out. Uh-huh. During the Agni Kai, when Zuko... Knocks him off balance. Commander Zhao is no longer able to successfully firebend. So the entire time that he has him on the balls of his feet going backwards during that fight, Zhao isn't doing anything. He's just falling backwards. So it it definitely calls into the fact that you have to be in your stance. Like that's why it's a basic. That's why Iroh was, was pointing that out is you have to be grounded. You have to, you know have that force flowing through you in order to successfully accomplish anything. Because once you're knocked off balance, you're only reacting. And those reactions aren't going to be nearly as powerful as the intention or the, like the intentional movements or the intentional attacks. So when you're, when you're on the defensive, when you're unstable like that, you can't bend. And I thought that was super important. Yeah. Okay, predicting the future. Melanie, do you have any thoughts on what the next episode is going to entail? It is titled The Warriors of Kiyoshi. Okay, so I'm thinking that's maybe the name of the Fire Nation warriors. Okay. I don't know. I can't draw any other conclusion. I don't know what Kiyoshi means, so. Okay, and what about 
journey next for Zuko? I think Zuko is going to have like a, this race to find the Avatar against Commander Zhao because everybody knows that he's there now. Or maybe other nations will all try to go and find him too. Yeah, yeah the world does know at this point. The world does know. know he's there. Okay, and lastly, where do you think Aang and Sokka and Katara are going? I think, well, obviously they're still headed towards the North Pole, right? To be able to find the other Water Nation sister tribe. But I think we'll maybe see some of the adventures that he mapped out for everybody in the beginning. So I think those would be cute episodes, I think. Well, that's predicting the future. We'll keep note of those predictions and we'll revisit them in the future to see how she did. (laughs) so that is the end of the second episode of the crossroads of destiny contact for the show facebook.com slash xroads pod and at xroads pod on twitter please go over to apple podcasts drop us a rating and a review if you're enjoying what you're hearing so far there are other avatar the last airbender podcasts out there and we want to try and appear top of the directory so the more you support us the more likely that is and the more people can find and listen and join in the conversation if you have any feedback or ideas, you can email xroadspod at gmail.com. And you can also leave a voicemail, 3145-YIP-YIP. That is 314-594-7947. If you keep it under a minute, keep it direct. We might include it on the show in the future. We'd love to hear your thoughts on what we've said, what we have not said. If you want to talk about episodes we've already talked about, if you want to talk about episodes that we have yet to talk about, we would love to hear from you so that we can include audience participation on the show. And you can also submit all those things on Twitter or email as well. Uh, we'd be happy to shout out people who have good things to say about Avatar, <laughs> not necessarily about us. <laughs> so you, you want to, it's okay. Yeah. So Melanie, your social media. Uh, so you can try to find me on Facebook if you want to, or you can look me up on Instagram. It's Melanie Amanda 44. And I might start posting more things about Avatar from there, but mainly it's going to be about my adorable son. Yeah, that's fair. Melanie posts everything for me, essentially. I, I, I really do. I don't do anything really on my personal social accounts, but I will be following the Crossroads pod, Twitter, everything that we, we have set up. I'll be on the, the website and emailing list and things like that. So happy to answer any questions. Contact me through there, or um, I'd love to hear feedback if there's something that we could do better. We're, we're here to do the best podcast we can. Okay. Well, the best place, as always, to find me is on Twitter, at Chadadada. That is C-H-A-D-A-D-A-D-A. You can find my other podcasts. There's the Cinescope podcast, where we talk about the movies we love and why we love them. You can find that on Twitter, at Cinescope Pod, or the website, thecinescopepodcast.com. There's my other podcast, An American Workplace, where we talked about every episode of The Office, and you can find that on Twitter, at WorkplacePod, and at the website, WorkplacePodcast.com. And all show notes and contact information for this show can be found at xroadspod.com. And that is all for this week. We'll be back in episode three when we talk about book one, chapter four, The Warriors of Kiyoshi. Bye, everybody. (laughs) 